In the list of the 15 largest U.S. cities with the largest millennial renter wage gap. Yeah. So the biggest U.S. cities with the biggest millennial renter wage gap. Yeah. These six California cities made the list. Yeah. And I think these six cities were, were interesting from my perspective. Some of them I got. Some of them were shocking. Here yeah. we go. Sacramento ranked 12th. Mm-hmm. I've been to Sacramento recently. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see that, that it was here, but okay. Right. Riverside ranked 8th. Riverside was the canary in the coal mine for the Great Recession, if you recall, mm-hmm, right. in California at least. San yeah. Jose ranked seventh. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Higher Standard. I am once again the sexiest host alive. That, that's I mean, Shh, I'm that's doing a the intro. I'm doing the intro. Yeah, that's a stretch. The with stretch Goldblum, marks. Shush. <laughs> the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting and the irresponsible, <laughs> negligent motherfucker sitting next to me. That's the Kim Jong Un. How are you going to call Barry White? With <laughs> the, okay, the the Kim Jong Un with a sultry Barry White sound. There you voice. go. There you, you happy go. now? Yeah, exactly. All right. Hello, everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> Said Omar. There's two disclosures getting right into this show that we should probably get out of the way. If you were the one reviewer who said that I sounded kind of arrogant, this is your episode because I'm going to sound real arrogant this episode. I apologize in advance. (laughs) I am an asshole. Yeah. Pure insight into how Chris really is. Yeah. I'm that guy tonight. Angry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm angry and arrogant tonight. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, as a segue into the real estate data that we normally give you in the the intro, I wanted to give you a backstory of an interaction I had on Twitter with a Kentucky-based realtor who decided to go ham. Mm-hmm. He came at me hard in the uh, in the messaging on a housing-related post where I referred to the current recessionary economy as a housing recession. He took objection with that, even though the National Association of Realtors had come out and had declared it themselves, amongst many other places. Right. But he knows more than them. He knows more than them, because he's been a realtor since 2012. Yeah. Former youth pastor, realtor since 2012. Never been through a cycle. Never been through a cycle. May have been through it as an adult, but certainly not as a working professional. Mm. I blocked him on Twitter. You can actually see when somebody who's blocked comments, you just can't see their comment unless you choose to view it. I happen to do that because I saw him commenting on another economist post. And this economist was posting about a poll of a thousand realtors saying, hey, like, you know, what are you seeing in the market? And it was overwhelmingly negative. Right. The economist wasn't really using that as a data point. He was using that more as a way to say this is a sentiment that we're seeing in real time based on their interactions with data. And this guy as a Kentucky realtor was saying, well, that means nothing. It depends on the thousand realtors you polled. And he was attacking everybody. Right. This kind of bothers me. If you can't be collegial and objective to the sentiment of a thousand realtors in a poll to get an idea or a baseline, I don't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. 
And for a reference point, the same way we predicted a lot of the housing declines, we actually polled realtors on my social media right. and said, hey, can you send me your MLS screenshot of, of valuations going up? And yeah, not looking for confirmation bias, just wanting to know, you know, is it a submarket thing? Is it nationwide? What's going on? Yeah, what does it look like in real time? Because keep in mind, you're not going to see this stuff reported by like the Case-Shiller Index for a long time, four or six months more. Mm-hmm. It's a lagging indicator. So this kind of thing really, really frustrates the shit out of me because you get a lot of these working professionals that call themselves professionals or experts, but they've been in the business for what they feel is a long time. 10 years is a long time. Right. Okay, great. I get that. But unless you count the 2020 housing recession as a true recession, uh, housing COVID recession as a true recession, right? didn't affect housing and certainly didn't have a longstanding effect. The last recessionary economy you, you've actually experienced is the Great Recession. Right where credit led the way. Mm-hmm. And it's no longer leading the way in this particular economy. Right. And it's another pain point of mine that's making me very upset is that I continue to see very educated, smart, astute people talk about how this cycle is different. <laughs> credit all... is in a better situation than it's ever been before. Right. And you know what I'm going to say to that, right? Well, every recessionary economy is different. Mm. Goddamn, spoken like yeah. a true genius. Yeah, I mean, I listened to the podcast. That was not rehearsed. Yeah. You don't listen to the podcast. We know that, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah. You're forced to listen to it in person, right. live. No, but each one each one is different, so each one's going to have different indicators. Mm-hmm. So for us to point at these continual indicators really just baffles me that so many smart people are going, well, we're in a better situation, we're in a better situation. Well, every single... You can go back to Volcker during the 80s, mm-hmm. which we talked about a lot on this show. And that wasn't a credit crunch either. Right. Right? So you can go back to the depression. Mm -hmm. That was not a credit crunch either. Right. So for us to think this is the only pathway to tough times is delusional. Exactly. Yet we have so many real estate agents, people talking about, you know, values can't go down. They have to go up. We have Dave Ramsey doing his usual thing, which you've heard me say over and over again. Actually, Thatch Nguyen, who who is a, a real deal... Real estate personality online on social media has got almost a million followers. I think on TikTok and Instagram now, and and he's a guy I, I very much respect. And mm-hmm. I, I hope to have him on the show. We've actually talked about it a couple times. Uh, that being said, he quoted Dave Ramsey recently and posted that same soundbite that we use now on our board as a joke. Which one was it? Oh, you don't. Uh, need, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I forgot. I, gotta, I, I don't want to overkill. I don't want to overkill the soundboard. But suffice it to say, home values aren't going to go down every year for the next five years. They'll go up. That whole shtick. Well, he quoted it, and it really bothered me. You have so many sophisticated, intelligent people with different opinions. Yet when you ask people, "Why do you feel this way?" they can't give you an economist-based answer. It's really feelings over data, not data over feelings. Right. Yeah. And that really, really bothers me. Yeah, especially when it's coming from people, you know, funny that are speaking it as if it's gospel. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Youth pastor. I did. Ah, uh, look at and, you. And it never been never been through a cycle. You know, you hope that he's not the, the voice of reason for many people. But, um, I mean, look at it. We're seeing articles all around now. It's, it's starting to catch fire where prices are coming down. Everyone's starting to pull out the market. So what Saeed is referring to is I posted an article earlier this week and the quote from the article was the average home sold for less than its list price for the first time in over 17 months during the four week period ending August 28th, according to Redfin. Mm -hmm. That was from a Redfin article titled one in five home sellers is now dropping their asking price as the market cools. And real quick, 
I like kudos to Redfin. I've, I don't know how much we've mentioned on here, but I feel like they've been very forthcoming with their data. So I, I've all, I think I said in the last show that the Redfin in my mind tends to be the, of the real estate based data aggregators, they tend to be the most, I think, narrowly tailored in their bias. Mm-hmm. They're not out there specifically commenting on stuff because it just helps them out. I, I think they really do try to to be you know, neutral. Yeah. They do have some indices that are based solely off of their searches on their site, which may or may not have value. I mean, really, where do they stand compared to Zillow and everybody else? I, I yeah. don't really know. So what I will say is, is Redfin has been a good source of data as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to have any spin with it, whereas Zillow would give you similar data, but then they would spin it as to why it's beneficial. Yeah, I mean, we've we've mentioned before where Zillow they adjusted their you know valuations to where home values are I think are only going to increase two percent is what they've now adjusted yeah, to. Yeah, you know, whereas like Redfin's saying clearly the opposite. So, and we haven't talked about it yet, but our, our unemployment number crept up from three point five to three point seven percent based on the jobs report that came out on Friday last week. Which to me is a negligible change. I don't see that as as really any movement at all, frankly. Right. And I think the jobs report actually had some, quote, positive things for the job market in it, which further confuses the matter uh, of what we were heading into. And for a reminder, there was two reports, this one and the updated CPI report coming out soon. On the 13th. On the 13th, uh, next week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which are really going to be impactful and those are the only two pieces of data, core data, that are really going to possibly back the Fed off a 75 basis point increase in a 3.7% versus a 3.5% unemployment number. Right. That didn't move the needle. Right. And based off of, you know, we've now mentioned it a couple of times on Jay Powell's Jackson Hole meeting speech. He's, I think he started, he's starting to allude to, I don't care what these numbers say. If it's starting to, if it still says it's, it, everything is fine, I'm still coming in. Guns blazing. Well, have you noticed that his rhetoric has gotten clearly more aggressive? Yeah. He, he's, he's, be, be prepared for prolonged pain, painful right. times ahead. Right. Expect this to last. I mean, the guy has said pretty much everything besides shut the fuck up, strap in mm-hmm. because it's going to be a long ride. That's the only thing left he has to say. Three months ago, if, when these, if these type of numbers were to come out, yeah, see, everything's fine. Job market's good. Everything, there's no problem. He was saying that. That's what he was ago. saying. When we had a 3.5% unemployment rate, 3.5%, he was yeah. saying, you know what? The labor market's strong. We're not in a recessionary economy. We mm-hmm. think things are great. Now with a 3.7% print, mm-hmm. actually before the 3.7% print, while we still had 3.5% and shortly before the 3.7% right. print, coming out of Jackson Hole, he was saying, be prepared for a prolonged period of pain. Yeah, exactly. So... He's clearly going to take a different approach and um, yeah, he's going to come down with a hammer. So the Fed is seen keeping to aggressive rate hikes as unemployment rises was the article. And I'm going to read you a quote directly from it. This from Reuters. Mm-hmm. Fed funds futures prices increased slightly Friday after a Labor Department report showed employers added a more than expected 315,000 jobs last month. Mm-hmm. And the unemployment rate rose from the 3.7% number we told you about. Uh, to, I'm sorry, to 3.7% number we told you about from a 3.5% as more workers join the labor force. I think this is an interesting statement as mm-hmm. more workers join the labor force. Right. There's been a lot for hustle culture. Yeah. There's been a lot from, for people that are saying, you know, get, get after it and, you know, live your dreams and be on your own. And I think with the stimmies that were coming out, people did a lot of that. 
I think the work from home thing yeah. is luring people back into the job force. Right. So I think more workers aren't joining the labor force. More workers are just looking for traditional employment. Yeah, yeah. Which absolutely. is a key indicator we're not really seeing discussed. Right. And we've mentioned it before on previous podcasts, how this unemployment number is actually calculated can get a little wonky. Right, um, depending on how long you've been looking for a job and whatnot, but I think if you looked le- if you looked over a year, they pretty much discount you. You're out. Don't even you're not yeah, even alive. You, if you've looked for on again, off again, or you had some break and you're looking, you're searching, you're you're out. You're not right. counted. If you've looked for, I think uh, less than four weeks, or something, you're out. I mean, there, out, there, yeah. it, it is all sorts of it, the number has changed dramatically. It's skewed a little bit, but what the data is suggesting is the rise from three point five percent to three point seven percent is largely in part due to layoffs. Yeah, and that's, I think that number is low compared to all the layoffs that we've seen and the yeah. things that we've seen. I, I, I find that shockingly low. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I could tell you probably, I, I could probably guess the names of big companies that have had layoffs in mm-hmm. addition to those facing bankruptcy at the moment and probably come up with close to half a million. Well, you, I mean, you just said it yourself right now. You said if it's only been four weeks, you're out. Yeah. So, I mean, they're think, not counted. You're yeah, not counted. Not so, counted. think about it. Four weeks ago, it, within the last four weeks, if all those articles that we've been citing on here with people having layoffs, those aren't even counted yet. One of the many reasons that unemployment and housing are lagging indicators. Right. Not necessarily because of the way the data is calculated, but also because it, how long it takes people to convert from one position to another as far as the data collection goes. Yeah. So, you're going to see a lot of these things change uh, over, over time and you're going to see a lot of the impacts. But, I read an interesting article that I think is indicative of where we're going. Mm-hmm. In the list of 15 large U.S. cities with the largest millennial renter wage gap, these six California cities made the list. Right. So, what, say that again because I, th- I, th- I think it was a lot for people at once. In the list of the 15 largest U.S. cities with the largest millennial renter wage gap, So, the biggest U.S. cities with the biggest millennial renter wage gap. Yeah. These six California cities made the list. Yeah. And I think these six cities were were interesting from my perspective. Some of them I got. Some of them were shocking. Here we go. Sacramento ranked 12th. Mm -hmm. I've been to Sacramento recently. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see that, that it was here, but okay. Right. Riverside ranked 8th. Riverside was the canary in the coal mine for the Great Recession, if you recall, mm-hmm, right. in California at least. San yep. Jose ranked seventh. San Jose, we were just at when we right. recorded the the Mind Pump episode. Shout out yep. to Adam and the rest yeah, of the guys exactly. up there. But that we've heard firsthand experience from people right. like Adam and everybody else up there. It, it's gone nuts. San Francisco ranked fifth. Wow. And I knew San Francisco was having a hard time. There was a mass exodus out there. The yeah. tech industry doing largely work from home. We knew there was a lot of change up. San Francisco, I thought in my mind, would be number one. San Diego ranked that one, third. That one surprises me. That one surprised the shit out of me. I didn't think by any... I, I couldn't imagine that, that values had gone up so high there and now come back down. But Los Angeles right. ranked number one. Yeah. Los Angeles was ranked number one. And I want to, again, I'm going to repeat this just to make sure it, I hit it home. In the list of the 15 large U.S. cities with the largest millennial renter wage gap, these six California cities made the list. Yeah, and all of U.S. All of the U.S., Los Angeles was number one for millennial renter wage gap. Yeah, man. A, what is a that? state and city rent-controlled area was right. number one. Number one. Think about that. So exactly. I think you can face the fact that rent control is not in and of itself working. Mm-hmm. Number one. No, no. Just right out there, right, right, right. right out the gate. Number two... This kind of takes the whole 
Well, I also think wait, backtrack on that a little bit. You know, rent control is not working, but we we know rent control only affects you know the the multifamily space, right? So there's no rent control on on renters for single family, but home prices have gone so out of hand that people are people that need homes, you know, for the utility of their family are forced to rent because they can't oh, buy. Yeah. 1, so that and that's why that's where it ranks high so high on this list. Yes, and it, it's it's a striking paradigm, and th- this caused me to think. A little bit about my perspective on the housing market yeah so many people hear me say that these things are happening and then i thought to myself am i so bullish on the change in real estate values nationally because these six cities are in such close proximity so to close us? yeah yeah I mean, los angeles is about 45 minutes north of us right San Diego is about 45 minutes south of us. Yeah, exactly. Right? You've got San Francisco, which we've been to several times. San 45 minutes flight right? away from us. <laughs> Riverside, about 40, 40 minute drive from us. Yeah. We are in essentially the epicenter of affordability crisis. Right. Exactly. So, and then I look back at the numbers for housing declines. If you recall from previous episodes, uh, from May to June, it went from 760,000 average home price, sales price in California mm-hmm. down to 750. Down to 740. Yeah, 750 to 740 right. in June and July. And I haven't checked the August numbers yet, but maybe we are at the epicenter of this. Maybe California is one of those top five states to, to kind of have that mobility in, in prices. I think, there, I, think, I think these cities and California in general as a state will probably see the largest correction. So I did post about that and I did talk about it uh, as, as a couple different variants uh, of this canary in the coal mine scenario. But I'll give you my predictions, and this was not necessarily directly from mine. So mm-hmm. Fannie Mae is now saying that homes are 15% overvalued. Yeah. That's a quote from Fannie That's Mae. That's Fannie Mae, <laughs> yeah. Same organization was talking about home price appreciation in values. Yeah, 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 yeah. This year, mm-hmm. right? 2022. The canaries in the coal mine are Austin, Atlanta, Bakersfield, Los Angeles, and Albuquerque. Wow. So, and again, this comes on the heels of a reminder, Moody's, Fitch, CoreLogic, and several others have now revised their, their pro forma expectations down. So slowly but surely, these massive data aggregators who are collecting data on the economy mm-hmm. are starting to shift their, their projections. This even before the lagging indicator data comes in. They are now starting to feel the impacts of the real-time data that we've been watching and reporting on. Mm-hmm. Because we're reporters now, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. we're in the media now. I'm Tom Stossel, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's my Chris Hansen over there. (laughs) I'll be the good guy. That's fine. He's a good guy. To catch a predator. Uh, This at the same time, home values in Phoenix went up 25% over the past year, according to Zillow's value index. Yep. As of the first quarter of this year, investor transactions are 45% of the entire housing I was, market. I was shocked by that too. I could not believe that because I remember I did a little bit of research on this um, a couple of weeks ago because I was kind of curious why, I, you know, how much of the market, of the buyer's market is, you know, um, these institution, institution buying, right? Didn't we talk about this on a previous episode? We did. And yeah. when we looked it up, it was, I was, I thought I read 25%. No, to no, hear, no. It was, originally, it was originally 12% and yeah. it bumped to 18% nationally. Right. But in some markets like this. In some markets like this, it's 40, 45%. It's 45%. Right. So I know for, for, for a fact, Phoenix, Phoenix, Las Vegas, yeah. 
Uh, I want to say South or North Carolina. Dude, the same article here. I was surprised it, it didn't mention Boise. Apparently, Boise is going to get hit really hard. Boise had a tremendous amount of valuation increase. And I think a lot of people wanted to work there remotely, mm-hmm. typically vacation town. People thought, like, well, this is beautiful. I'll just work here. They, they, I know people that are there. I have, people, I have followers on the social media platform who've hit me up and like, yeah, Boise is a problem. If they say it's a problem. They say it's the least afford, one of the least affordable cities to buy during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the median household household income is there, but it says house prices reached seventy two percent above what a middle income family could afford. Seventy two percent. Yeah, I above believe, one thousand percent. Believe it. I mean, if you. So, I mean, what happens to all those people? Like, so people during the pandemic that found out about this hidden gem of Boise, right? And they want to go over there. Quarter Lane, bro. You know what I mean? Idaho. And then all those people that are born and raised there that are, you know, planning their whole life to buy a home, now they can't afford it. That's that's fucked. Dude, that's Los Angeles for you. Are you kidding me? That, that's that's literally no, like... Los, Los Angeles is always on the map, dude, for people to want to come out this way, live on the West Coast. Yeah, but here's the thing, is that we've, we've always identified Los Angeles as this hub of place, a hub that people wanted to be, right? Like everybody right. moved there to be like an actor. So the people were waiters in the day and actors at night, right, right. all that shit, right? But if you could work from home, work remotely, and you're yeah. in the tech sector, anywhere could be your hub. Yeah, exactly. And now, because of that, so many of these places that people went to for vacations and thought they were having a great time, that they, they had these, these spikes in value. Right. 25% in a single year in Phoenix. Phoenix, crazy. 45% of that market. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of friends there that were wholesalers that are in the real estate business, and I've, to- I've warned them so many times, like, guys, like your market is just getting murdered by these people that are that are taking advantage of the market from an institutional perspective yeah and as a reminder for those who listen to the show who don't necessarily know what wholesaling is yeah you'll get a property under contract and you'll sell it off to an investor so now you've got and i don't know if this this article wasn't specific if it i don't know if it's just investors who are buying deals firsthand or if that includes wholesalers as investors who are also buying in the market because if you include yeah. them that's not part of the investor number that 45 oh, okay. percent oh that's a whole it's other even, yeah, it's yeah. even higher yeah it's even higher than that right so a lot of those those marketing calls you get you you want a home yeah, so yeah. has anybody ever called you to, to oh, try to yeah. buy a home? do we have a we have a house line now in case of an emergency yeah. if anything were to ever happen you can't get on your cell phone we have a house line uh we have to put that thing on silent uh, ah. it's, it's ringing all day long Wow, you got a house line? Got a house line, man. Hardwired? No. What <laughs> yeah. kind of emergency yeah, hard, yeah, yeah. are you thinking is going to happen, bro? Dude, what do you mean? Anything could happen. Anything. I, we don't have a house line. We don't have a hard line anymore here. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I... No, I do have to. I have a Verizon and AT&T cell phone in the house that, all the time. Dude, a lot of people have Verizon and AT&T. A lot of people are going to be on those phone calls, man. What do you mean? Wait, what do you think? You're it's $10 get, like, a month. Bro, there's, there's no direct, what are you talking about? Ten dollars a month for what? Yeah, to get a house line. That's a hundred twenty dollars a year. You yeah. know how much tequila I can drink don't, for hundred twenty dollars a year? Do that. I saw you buy hundred twenty dollars worth of chips right now at the store. I did buy oh, some chips. Yeah, those thickness. are so good. Those Javiana thickness, chips. Thickness over here was buying those some Javiana, chips. Bro, I had a rough day. <laughs> okay, you know what? We want to get personal. Let's get no, personal. No, no, we're not getting personal. We can do this. Let's do this. Okay, so first of all. I want everybody to know that we are sitting currently in a hot ass garage in the middle of a heat wave in Southern California. Yeah. It's it was a hundred degrees out today. That's what you call commitment. I am roasting right yeah. now. I'm sweating like yeah, yeah. profusely. Right. Said finds it funny because even though he's fat and insulated, he's uh, not sweating, which cool. is weird. I say cool. It's funny. My wife says the same thing. I, you know, some of us bizarre. stay cool all the time. Level headed. Wasn't that wasn't that wasn't that a review? Level headed, calm, cool, collected. That was a review, but we have yet the jury still on whether that was related to you or not. Okay, so let's just let's just discount that fifty percent. This is how this is how I figured out a way how to like get over you talking shit. It's just I'm just gonna keep talking over you. 
It's not that. You, yeah. just, you know what you do is you just have all your family members comment on, on our on all our social media, <laughs> all, and, all our reviews and shit. They're all like your family members and they're all like, Saeed is amazing and that Chris guy was whatever. We need some real reviews, yeah. people. Please leave us some yeah, reviews. Please, so somebody leave us a five, real review. A real five-star review. Yeah, not... If you're not willing to leave a five-star review, then you should probably go... Yeah, uh, take your anger out on Dave Ramsey's page. Dave Ramsey's yeah podcast, whatever that is. I don't, I don't know what's that. Yeah. But so, Saeed and I are setting up the studio <laughs> and Saeed, who is colorblind... Fun yeah. fact. Yeah. For some reason... Partially fell, colorblind. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but fine. Yeah. Fell in love with the rug that we, we he wanted to get for the studio. It's, it was a green this, shag dude. rug. Don't do this. Shh. Our wives fell in love with it too. Your wife didn't respond until after we yeah, left she, the place. She did love it though. Okay. She did love it. I did not yeah. confirm. So it's a green rug. They had a blue green variant, but Saeed presidential vetoed right out the gate. Presidential. Presidential veto. I have gone back to Ikea twice now, and I finally got the floor modeled because I was so excited for this rug. Yeah. Can't wait for y'all to see this rug. I steam cleaned this fucking thing with a, with a carpet cleaner. Yeah. And I got 10 huge jugs of black water. I mean, like, you can't even see through it. Non-trans, non-transparent. Transparent. 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 <laughs> non-transparent. Black fluid it, it was nasty yeah, this so we really basically in a nutshell we hope you guys like the rug not we you, yeah, you i no, hope no. you like the rug no. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love the you rug. got me sweating my ass off in 100 degree heat cleaning your rug <laughs> yeah yeah thank and you and how did i get volunteered for this shit <laughs> no, I, yeah. I picked it up yeah you, picked, you did everything <laughs> i paid for that yeah. fucking thing I'm proud then, of you, you know man. what ikea fuck you yeah you gave me a 30 dollar discount for this dirty ass fucking rug i you should have been paying me a hundred dollars to this motherfucker off your hands because nobody in the right fucking mind was gonna clean this piece of shit Dude, you know and you know who else needs to start paying people back who your boy grant cardone god so <laughs> I oh. intentionally test on a hot button. You know I'm fucking angry. Why yeah, you gotta do this right yeah, now? Yeah, right now. But while you're while you're hot. <laughs> All right. So th- there is uh, a YouTube video out there, and I'm not going to mention the person who put it out there because I, I don't know if it's confirmed or not. But allegedly, he said that Grant Cardone has been looked into by the FBI for uh, a number of, of years now, too. Right. And that they're concerned about some of the things that he's done. And he makes some accusations, which are very, very interesting. Mm. Accusations which, given enough time, I could probably ferret out. My question is, how would he know, though, you know, how would, that the FBI authorities are investigating? How be, would he be privy to that information? Well, his, his, his statement was that he has spoken to people inside Grant Cardone's organization and they have admitted to cooperating with the FBI mm, and go. that they were limited in what they could say to him because some of which is protected by these ongoing investigations. Yeah, it's, an and they don't inv- wanna, it's an open investigation. It's an open investigation. Right. So he has effectively put out this YouTube video where he talks about all these things. And one of the things that he talks about is the syndication structure. And for those of you who don't happen to or haven't happened to listen to the episode where we talked about Grant Cardone syndications, shame on you. Yeah. Great fucking episode. Great episode. Uh, I think it was solo on that one, though. It's, it's still a great episode. It, it can't great. be great without me. I mean, I understand why it, you no, would it, think it, that. It's extremely arrogant without yeah, you and yeah. not level headed. <laughs> just to be clear um, for anybody who might be concerned about my arrogance level. Um, so the syndication episode talks about how they work, what the deal is, how Grant Cardone makes his money. And the supposition that is going on here, for, for those of you who don't know, if you solicit investors online, they must be, quote, accredited investors. And there must be a prospectus that goes out to these accredited investors. Accredited is kind of a nebulous term. There's several gray area definitions for this. Basically, you need to qualify them based on certain criteria as far as the liquidity and net worth goes. Right. 
That being said, once you do that, you give them this prospectus, which tells them about the deal that they, you want them to invest in. Right. So I don't want anybody to think this is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. You can go out to the stock market right now and buy into a real estate investment trust, mm-hmm. and you'll get the same tax benefits as owning real estate. Right. There's some small discrepancies, but largely the same tax benefits, depreciation, amortization, interest deduction, all that shit. Right. Okay. I'm not a CPA. Talk to your CPA, but yeah, same shit. Right. Syndications offer you the same benefits and allegedly better returns. Mm-hmm. Less people involved in it than a real estate buying, a yeah. real estate investment trust buying in. They would need to offer you better returns. So otherwise, why wouldn't you just go to the market? Why wouldn't you go to, do it? So let's yeah. just say hypothetically, you put $100,000 into someone like Grant Cardone. I don't know why you would do that. God damn. Man. You could go buy two properties in the Midwest right now in cash flow with $100,000. You put... 50 grand in each property and you got decent rates, you probably cash flow seven, $800 a month each property times two. Okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's call it $1,600 a month on a hundred grand. Right. That's no, not, and, that's and, not bad. Wait, and it's all you that, I mean, and it's all you, you all, control it. You're, exactly. you're paying everything. That's your own interest. Deduction, your money's not your locked own. in, you know, yeah, you don't have to, you can sell it whenever you want, buy it whenever you want, right. whatever. If you invest in Grant Cardone, you're, you're taking a lot of stuff on faith. And here's the accusation. The accusation is that he is buying and closing these real estate deals in his own name for, call it like a million dollars. Obviously, these are much larger numbers in reality. Right. And then he's turning around and selling it to the investors and his company for $1.2 million. So he's walking into a $200,000 increase, selling it to himself. Now, mind you, he gets a 1% commission on every deal he sources anyway from selling it to his investors. Right. But the the argument here is you would have e- to think, man. That the, sorry, not to cut you off. You did that, cut me off. But you would have it's to selfish. Think, but like you know what? These For people, a sultry, yeah. level-headed individual, cutting me off is not appropriate. But, but here, this is what stands out about this. For the people that are in his circle and in his camp or his academy, whatever the fuck he calls it. You mean Scientology? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, they would have a little bit of a background in history on how real estate works. So they should, they have, are they being privy to this information that he bought it and now they're selling, he's selling it to them directly for at a premium. So that should be in the prospectus and it should be in legal disclosures, whether or not it is uh, because it's a transaction with an affiliate yourself, right? right? If you were a publicly traded company, I could never sell myself stuff at less than or more than market value. Right. It's a transaction with affiliate issues. So I would have to go out, get separate valuations, get independent analysis done. And then, and even then it's not highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Then I could buy something from myself personally. And even then it, it, it's, it's considered in bad form. Yeah. So, but you know, he's not a publicly traded company, whatever, but you're still, there are requirements. This whole accredited investor thing is an SEC regulated business. Right. So if you were selling things to yourself now, I'm sure he's got some legal disclosures. I'm still, I'm sure there's some stuff there. Yeah. Without a question of a doubt, whether legal or illegal, it's morally reprehensible. Absolutely. Yeah. So to, to finish up on the point, to really drive home the point, in this example, and I use the, the 1 million versus 1.2 million, he's yeah. making $200,000 right there, right? Right there, yeah. He's also making a 1% on the sell from the commission fee, right? So right. he's going to make 1% on 1.2 million. That's what his investors think he's taking for quote sourcing the deal. That's 120 grand. He yeah. made more money than that. Yeah, exactly. On the selling it to himself, right? To the you know, Cardone to Capital the investor. Yeah. So that therein lies the undisclosed profits that that he's making, and it, it's it's questionable how much 
I don't know how long he held it before he sold it to himself, but even if he held it for a couple of months, that's not enough time to really make any kind of dr- dramatic improvements to the cash flow yeah. and drive up value. And keep in mind, he also buys in Florida, one of the hottest markets in the country, who right. is arguably overpriced and due for a correction for rental values. Absolutely. So there, there's a tremendous amount of accusations going on there. There's, there's a whole lot of, of concerns. There's also... I mean, if it is true that the FBI is looking into him, I would find that I think the SEC is probably more of a, a regulatory agency for it. Here's what I would say: couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Mm. I hope they find something. Yeah, I'm tired of the social media flexing. I'm tired of a dude feeling like he needs to show off his private jet, yeah, his cars, and all this shit. Like that doesn't make you a better investor, right? You know what would make me believe you're a great investor? You know what would make me feel really good about you, Grant Cardone? If you ever mm. hear this, right? is if BlackRock actually invested into you. Right, that. If, if, if a large institutional Wall Street money invested into you. And to my knowledge, right. that has not happened. And I'm, I'm pretty damn confident that if that did happen, yeah. he would be bragging about it left and right. But institutional money is gonna go buy a real estate investment trust. They're gonna go buy their own real estate. They don't need you. What are, yeah. you, what are you providing? Right. He bragged on a social media post, and, and I promise I'm going to back off me being angry about this eventually, probably in about nine to 10 minutes from now. <laughs> uh, but he bragged on a post that uh, a billionaire came to him and gave him a $20 million check, wanted to invest into him. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, one of his associates showed up and wanted to do some due diligence. And, he, and then this is the way Grant Cardone tells the story. He let the guy do due diligence and said, when you're done, come see me. Guy came and saw him and said, and he said to him, hey, did you find anything? And, you know, interesting. And he's like, no, no, we were good. You know, you know thank you for being here, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Grant Cardone gave him an envelope, said, hey, this is for your boss. And he said, what is it? And he said, you can go ahead and look. Opens it up and it's a $20 million check back to him as money given back. Right. And Grant Cardone says, if you don't trust me, I don't want to do business with you. Motherfucker, if you won't let somebody do due diligence on the investments that you're making, and right. they're writing you a $20 million check, which he says in the same interview was the biggest check he ever received. Right. $20 million. If you don't trust me, then blindly, blindly, get out of here. That means that your books are wrong. That's Something, what that means. Exactly. That, that's what that means. Yeah, and it makes, it makes you feel bad, man, because, you know, people get, get tricked into all this uh, glamour online. and um, I'm tired of it, man. I'm, I'm very, very, very tired of it. Yeah, always do your due diligence. I mean, ask for, ask for information. Ask, ask for details. And if they say no, then that's what should be alarming to you. I want to tear him up so badly, but let, let, let's 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 stay focused. Yeah, yeah. For that'll, that'll take care of itself. Speaking of Los Angeles, the renter wage gap was minus forty nine point five percent. And to put that in perspective, millennial renters make a median wage in Los Angeles of thirty six thousand six hundred and forty nine dollars. Yeah. However, renters needed an average wage of seventy two thousand, double essentially mm-hmm. five hundred and sixty dollars. To pay for a one bedroom. Right. So, I mean, how many people are living in this one bedroom? Well, in, in Los Angeles, I mean, keep in mind, <laughs> yeah. there's a macro economy here. Uh, and I have all this. San Diego, 39.9. The average millennial would need to make in order to afford a one bedroom was $69,720, even though the renter median wage was $41,885. Yeah. So, th- these, are, these are not good numbers. At the same time, as we're talking about Grant Cardone being a piece of shit, mm. uh, million dollar homes losing, and this is a quote from CNBC, losing luxury status as buyers get less space for their money, research finds. I mean, that's not groundbreaking, right? I mean, it's just the house prices are going up. You're having to pay more for, to, to get less. 
right? One thousand percent. And and they're they're referring to this as shrinkflation. Shrink. Shrinkflation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really, and it really is a byproduct of inflation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what this really is. But it's it's a it's a sexy name. Yeah, exactly. But it's exactly as the name suggests. I mean, a million dollar home, which sounds like a lot of money, seven figures. That, that used to be a big pivotal point in pricing mm -hmm. is now not so big or so pivotal. Right. It's kind of common. Yeah. Uh, which is a scary thing to think about. Should, um, yeah, it should be interesting to see. I mean, um, I think I know you uh, got a potential new client listing in Anaheim Hills that um, what? What? we should be able to see, just to be able to compare what happened exactly a year ago, a year and a half ago with, with um, my brother-in-law to now what he's going to be dealing with. So. Yeah, and I've warned him, uh, this new client, that uh, it's going to be a rough ride and yeah. that selling is not what it once was. And it, it's a very, very different market. Normally, I would have probably turned around in the same day reports because it really didn't matter what you listed for. Right. Uh, the bidding war was going to take place. At this point in time, uh, as a real estate agent and a fiduciary for him, uh, my, my job is coming up with more accurate and in, in, right. in relevant comps. Right. So I can't just turn, simply turn around a report and say, let's get this party started. Be a little, be a little bit more strategic. You right? have to be much more pragmatic about it and you have to plan accordingly. So are we going to have open houses? Are we going to, how are we going to attack this? You really have to put thoughts into marketing now. Right. You can't just be like, I'm listing on Thursday. I'm taking offers on Tuesday <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm cashing my check on Friday. And bitches. come with your final and best. Yeah. Highest and final. Oh, no contingency. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, for those of you listening to the show, you also know that I had a bit of an objection with my friend Mark Zandy over at Moody's. Uh, he snubbed being on the show, said he was not interested for the uh, foreseeable future. Mm. I like to think he's intimidated by all the sexy that Saeed brings to the show. Mm -hmm. That's probably true. And he might actually believe that you are related to Kim Jong-un, <laughs> in which case it is a political position to right, be on the so show. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And for those of you wondering, I don't know if he is or not. <laughs> You are technically Asian, being Te from Afghanistan. Technically, well, I'm 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 American. I remember one time I was I was I was young, I was younger, and um, somebody asked me, you know, what ethnicity am I? And I was standing right next to my dad, and um, I was like, oh, I'm Afghan. My dad smacked me in the back of the head. He's like, no, you're American. You, you were born here. You were born here, motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker you, you could you be fucking, president. Fucking, you own that shit. You're yeah. American. <laughs> you're not Afghan. You know, I never. I am. I, for those of you listening, I'm 44 percent Iranian. My my grandmother, I think, was part German. And I grew up, you know, kind of a kid between a lot of different cultures. My mom, French, German, Dutch, all these other things. I never really knew what I was. Mm -hmm. And it, I was growing up, you know, Santa Ana, which was largely Hispanic. And right. I, I learned how to speak Spanish very, very mm -hmm. young. And um, I look back on it and I think to myself, like, I never thought that I was like Asian-like. Right. But yeah. Iran is the next country over from Afghanistan. Right. I mean... And there, if you go to the north, north of Iran, there, there's, uh, there's an entire like Asian population there. It's just south of China. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or China adjacent, anyway. But um, there's, a, there's a very Asian, and I remember seeing Iranian people who were Asian looking who spoke Farsi. And I never thought there was any kind of that in my blood. But, I, you know, I got almond-shaped eyes, I guess. But, yeah. you know, I, I got this mix. My wife had our baby, our son. Yeah. I'll never forget, he came out. And my first thought was, Damn, his kid's huge. The doctor mm. even said it looks like a three-month-old. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? wow. And he came out and, you know, you're cutting the umbilical cord and things happen so fast. And then you get to the, that next room they move you into. And I'm holding my son. I'm looking at him. I'm like, God damn, he looks super fucking Asian. <laughs> he looks super I'm like, who's his baby daddy? <laughs> <laughs> and even my wife, because we talked about it later on. Even, Joanna, even Joanna was like, 
what the fuck? The, 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 the fact, but it's, it's our culture, though. It's our culture. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. So yeah. he came out, and, and my wife's Filipino, so he came out looking super, super uh, Eastern. That's funny. That? That's funny that you mentioned that because I got a good story about that too, and I'll, I'll keep it short so we can go on. But um, when my son was first born, and we took him to his first, you know, a uh, couple of visits at the doctor's office, um, he was ranking you know, abnormally high, like a 99 percentile in height, 99 percentile in weight, 99 percentile in head size. I'm just and doctor. I'm there with my wife going to all the doctor visits and I'm sitting in the room and she's measuring it. And she looks over at me and she looks over at my wife. She's like, wow, daddy must be tall. I was like, daddy's sitting right here. Like, <laughs> I am not her brother, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah just because yeah. I'm short, I can't be the daddy. What's the problem? Dude, I don't believe in any of that shit anymore. Like the percentiles and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's, it's all BS because it'll plateau eventually. Sorry, son, but you're going to get these genetics. I mean, my son's tall as shit. Yeah. Well, you got, well, you were 6'5, 6'6. You better be tall. What do you mean? Well, I mean, look, man, mommy's 5'4. So, yeah. You never know. He could get mommy's genes, in which case he'll he'll hate mommy for the rest of his life. (laughs) (laughs) He's already tall. He's going to be a big kid. Um, all right, so I was talking about Zandy. He he's come out now saying house prices will soon undergo a quote correction. Chief economist at Moody's Analytics, but not a quote crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like the term crash. It's nebulous. It doesn't mean anything. I agree. Like, what is what do you define? What defines crash? Right. Technically, if you were talking about the stock market, anything twenty percent or more would be a crash. Okay. But I I think fifteen to twenty percent in the real estate market is absolutely reasonable. Right. In a market like Phoenix, 49.5%, almost 50% of the, of the, of the, the right. acquisition is being done by institutional lenders, institutional money. So 25% way- increase in a single year. If you corrected 22%, that wouldn't even eviscerate just last year. Right. Yeah, exactly. For me personally, as far as housing goes, and this might not be, you know, financially right or whatever, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't consider it a crash until I see a huge upkick in foreclosures. Right. Like just because values come down doesn't that wouldn't trigger a crash for me personally so i i I look at it as a correction and adjustment well i i don't think that foreclosures and like if there was like a 10 15 percent upkick 20 percent upkick in foreclosures i'd be like what's going on that isn't a crash though that that, with values coming down combined no no no, not a crash not a crash at all and i think that that's that's where the great recession fucked us yeah is that people people believe that that is the corollary to a housing recession. Yeah, exactly. That is not a corollary to a housing recession. What is is a deep slowdown of activity. And to give you an idea, if you were to look at the, from going back to 2017 to 2022, Mm -hmm. and you were to look at where we're at as far as new listings go, Mm -hmm. normally there's some seasonality to listings, right? You mm-hmm. walk into the summer months, you get a little bit more. You walk into the winter months, you get a little bit less, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Right. This year, more than any other year since 2017, as far back as I went, has fallen off dramatically. Right. I mean, it is, it is notably different than any other year. Mm-hmm. You can't chalk that up to anything but a housing recession. Yeah. You could say interest rates going up, blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Those you, have are the, to carve, those are, you have to carve it out. Right. right. Those are the stimulus for a housing recession. Mm-hmm. I don't think that credit and foreclosures are going to be the pressure. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any signs of that in the economy. What I do think is, is spending, inflation, and the economic challenges. If Fed, the Fed holds monetary policy for longer, mm-hmm. like they've said they're going to do, 
yeah. on multiple occasions now. This is a prolonged period of financial strain on all Americans. Yeah. And for us to sit here and think there won't be ramifications to businesses, to spending, to consumer habits, that, that, that's crazy. No, I mean, we, yeah, we've gone through the steps and it, it will. It's just a matter of time for these things to play out. Just a matter of time for these things to play out. And speaking of time, we are coming up against the 42nd minute of this podcast. And Saeed's favorite segment is up next. Yeah. It's the Q&A. It's the question for the higher standard that we post on social media on my profile. Usually the night before. Today we did it the day of and we got some good questions. So in no particular order. All right. You ready, big? Yeah, let's go. Big guy. Yeah, ready? big guy. <laughs> Big, big guy. Big guy. If we are planning to buy in 2023, when should we? Well, uh, we've talked about it. I mean, you see all the information that's starting to come out now, right? Um, values are being adjusted. Prices are starting to come down. If you're saying you're planning to buy in 2023, there's still a lot that needs to get unpacked there. But we've said reassess the market every three months. If mm -hmm. you can continue to hold off, do so, right? Um, but if, if you need to get in at a certain time because of you, for utility reasons, then, Hey, you have to get in when you get in, but, uh, reassess every, you know, every quarter, every quarter. And, um, what I'll tell you is, is, is people who are worried about paying a higher interest rate. Mm -hmm. What I'll tell you is, is that rates go up and they go down over time. Right. Even this as painful as it might be is not going to last in perpetuity. So you can always refinance down to a lower rate, but you can't go back in time and get a lower purchase price. Yep. So try to be cognizant of your market. Figure out if you're one in one of these elevated markets where there, there's some serious competition. I don't think that all markets will have as much of a correction as one another. Obviously, like California, for example, is primed for that. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, but some, some places like uh, Oklahoma uh, and some of the outlying cities in Texas, like Frisco, for example, I don't think right. they're, they're going to be having as huge of an impact. Yeah. As, uh, as some of the other places like um, Los Angeles or Miami mm -hmm. or Austin. Right. So figure out what kind of market you're in. Be cognizant. Watch the MLS. Watch listings. You can go to Zillow or you can you know, use any kind of app you want for that. Uh, but watch it. And you'll know when the right time to buy is for you based on, number one, your need. And number two, the economic position that you're in. Right. As it relates to the prices that are then in the market. What I think is going to be your biggest challenge through now in 2023 is finding a listing. So many people are pulling their listings off of the for sale status and moving them to renting status because they've got these great low rates. They don't want to give it up and there's no urgency. They want to wait it out. Uh, that will last for a while. The question is, is how long will it last? Yeah. In my area, there's not been a new listing in quite some time. I haven't even checked mine, so I, I don't know. I, all I know is, you know, you have, it's in your, the ball's in your court now. You know, a lot a lot more things that you it's can It's a buyer's measure. market, baby. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some things. Yeah. That, so if you need to, you know. Some yeah. More things you need you, to. More things you, need, you can negotiate. I'd be a good hype man. Yeah. 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 All right. I feel like we satisfactorily satisfied that answer. Satisfactorily satisfied. Yeah, that's what answer. I said. Financial advice for 30-year-olds. Oh, okay. Well, if you don't own a home, yeah, uh, I think that's that should be a good place to start right there. If you yeah. can, if you can buy a home, uh, the reason why I say that is not because I'm a real estate investor and I like real estate. It's because typically speaking, for most Americans, your home is your largest investment. Yeah, shouldn't be an investment, but it's where you get the most net worth over time. Yeah. Um, 
emergency funds emergency funds yeah you want to have six months uh uh for all of that, your spending habits i know that's hard it's, it's a big number to think about up front but that is something that you want to aim for over time yeah what i'll tell you is in my late 20s uh, i figured out cash flow meant the world and my net worth meant nothing so i spent a, a great deal of time refining how cash flow positive I could be living on, on like a bare minimum. And I certainly don't do that anymore. Yeah. I laugh because my electric bill for 1180 square foot place was uh, 700 bucks last month. My, my wife and I. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a topic. It, it's it's right. sensitive, <laughs> it's sensitive at the moment, yeah. but um, yeah, we're at a different point in life. But what I will say is in my early, late twenties, early thirties, I was definitely focused on driving cash flow, building wealth and taking steps at least once a year to improve that position in my cash flow. Mm-hmm. If you're not married and you don't have kids and your your necessity, your utility is less, mm-hmm. I would survive on less if you can. There's no I once drove a uh, true story. I drove a uh, when the new 7 series came out in 2012, I, I bought one. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, at least one, sorry. It was a white 750 Li. I was convinced to buy it. I never forget on Halloween. I drove it home. My friends were like, "Oh wow, it was amazing," you know. But um, my dad convinced me to do it because I was making a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I regretted it deeply. And I never not regretted it. Yeah, twelve hundred dollars a month. I think it was my lease payment, and right. I was driving like the top. It was a beautiful car. I remember yeah. it had tons of great features, but uh, I never felt good about it. Right. And looking back on it, if I would have bought something like what my next car was, a 2015 Jeep, if I would have bought that, mm-hmm. my car payment when I had one was like five or 600 bucks a month. It was like yeah. five something. Yeah. Uh, and then I paid it off relatively quickly because it was only a $36,000 car. Right. Versus a $100,000 car. If you're below the age of 30, there's no need to have that. No need to have it. I mean, if, if uh, Albert Einstein could come out and say, you know, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, then that should tell you something. You've been waiting to use that all fucking show, haven't you? No, I, you I, I wasn't even privy to these com- these Bro, questions. Wasn't even privy to these questions, <laughs> no. Your Honor. Objection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. All right. No, was- but and then it also this question also begs to ask. Uh, you know, depends on how much discretionary you know income that you have um, for you to use. Uh, I think Chris and I share the same belief on you know long term investments. Um, yeah, I'm not. not, not we're not, we're not out there like day trading. None of that shit. No. And what I will tell you is, is I have refined this perspective uh, in the last couple of years. A lot of people hit me up and they're talking about how they want to start side hustles and build wealth and do all these things. If you're below the age of 30 and you're making less than six figures, that should be your focus. You need to find a way to make six, six figures between your nine to five. Mm-hmm. That should be your, because if you're not generating that much with taxes and everything else, just eating away everything else, you need more in today's cost of living. Right. Inflation certainly isn't helping, but as, assuming inflation is a transitory and goes away, yeah, uh, Jay Powell, baby, Jay Powell, then you know that that would mean that much more for you later on. But you should certainly look to to increase your wages from your day job to to at least six figures, if not higher, because that that is really where it, where it gets impactful. Mm-hmm. Anecdotal story, and we're gonna go a little long on the, on the show. I recognize one of the first real jobs I had. A manager told me. Yeah, he, was, he was like so confident and he, I don't, I don't know what it was about him that made him feel so confident because he wasn't that accomplished. He told me, he's like, Chris, you know, You're 20, 20, no. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. You sneeze? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Uh, you're ugly too. Um, ugly secret society. <laughs> <laughs> Us. 
Yeah, so, no, what do you say? Does it actually show you ever seen that? Outback? <laughs> no. You ever seen that show? No. The Australian like snakes and everything else in the Outback? No. And they have a secret society called the Ugly Secret Society. Uh, okay. Us. 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 Uh, got it. Get it? Yeah. No, you don't get it. It's fine. All right, so this manager told me that, Chris, you know you haven't really made it until you're clearing 20K a month. Wow. I'm like, you haven't made it? Like, you haven't made He's like, when you're making 20K a month after taxes, mm-hmm. you're you're in a position to invest and build wealth. Wow. And I, I remember like him saying that to me and I thought at the time it sounded like so far away and so profound. Mm-hmm. But the older I got, I'm like, no. Yeah. Absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. It was just his cost of living imputed on everyone else's life around him. Right. So here, here's what I'll say is you've got to find a way to be cash flow positive to the extent that you can do. I think you should forego Starbucks and like a massage from time to time. No, mm-hmm. but I think you should control your spending and live modestly. And using myself as an example, I make seven figures cause I'm an arrogant piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I live in a place that costs me $1,700 a month. Right. That's P I T I. Yeah. Associations included in probably about two grand a month. Yep. That is a very low cost of living. Now, mind you, my wages don't need to cover that because my rental properties cover that and then some. Yeah. And I still choose to live here. Right. That was, that was a valuable lesson that I learned from you early on. And it's, you know, you get comfortable with a certain lifestyle enough to where you can still enjoy yourself. Like Chris said, you know, still enjoy some of the finer things that you like to enjoy. But if you can find a way to stay within that as you continue to build wealth over time, you will reap the benefits. The longer you stay in that, in that period mm-hmm. before you shift, the better off you will be. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know what luxury I really like right now? Fucking <laughs> air conditioning. It is hot as a Yeah, I can't fucking, wait to get in that studio. The studio would be so good right now. When do you think prices in LA will drop 15 to 20%? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, we brought up Los Angeles today. Los Angeles, number one on the list. Yeah. I think you're going to see a 15 to 20% drop in Los Angeles in 2023. Now, when exactly that's going to be or what area that's going to be is going to depend greatly on what kind of market you're in. Right. If you're in the new home buyer market or the entry level price point, it's 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 not going to drop 20%. Mm-hmm. I think you could probably get about 15 at most. Okay. That's fair. At least in 2023 anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in the upper echelon, like the higher luxury, market, luxury, luxury homes, homes $1.5, $2 million plus. In yeah. Los Angeles, probably $2.5, $3 million. Yeah. That's where you're going to start seeing 20% get hit in 2023. That, that, that's my guess. And I think you're going to start seeing about Q2 2023, if I had mm-hmm. a guess, is, is when you see the aggregate number from where we are today to where we are then. What's really going to be interesting for me to see and how it all plays out is like we just discussed, you know, these institutions that are buying into the market at 45%, what are they going to do? Are they going to hold tight and sit on it? Or are they going to just start? Well, keep in mind, corporations are like the Titanic. It takes a lot to get them to change direction. Exactly. So because of that, when the time to buy peaks up again, they're not going to be sitting on the sidelines going, okay, go, 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 go. It's going to take time. Right. Their analytics, their internals, their financials. No, but I mean, as far as the to the sell. street. Oh, to sell? I don't think they're going to sell. I don't think they're going to sell either. I don't, I don't either. think they're going to sell either. So I don't, if, I don't think that's if, if some of these markets, institutional buyers were 45%, well, they're sitting on those properties. Yeah. Well, they're rental, rental cash flowing yeah, properties. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to sell those. That, that's not their intent. I mean, their yeah. intent is exactly like mine as a landlord is to buy, hold, and, and hold them forever if you can. Yeah. 
assuming they don't bleed you dry like my last tenant, which still cost me money because they moved out like assholes, but that's a whole different topic for another yeah. day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to sell uh, to the extent they would. And some of those cities like Phoenix and, and Las Vegas and and um, South Carolina, North Carolina. Albuquerque. Albuquerque, yeah. They're irreparably harmed because of people like BlackRock coming in and buying there and now largely being landlord areas. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's there's going to be a lot of reconciliation there. And until those bigger companies see an economic thing to pull out, and I don't foresee that ever, frankly given their cash position, why they would do that. Unless right. rental rates fell to the floors, and I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Uh, do you think November, December, January is the best time to purchase a primary residence, less buyers? I would say there's a negligible benefit to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really need to buy when it's best for you and your family and your situation. If you can buy in November, December, January, meaning you probably don't have kids in school. Right. Uh, or not doing a lot of traveling during, you know, yeah. holidays, I would say then fine. I mean, that, that's, that, that's up to you, but I don't think you get a, a dis- distinctively better deal to where you have to plan that out. Right? Yeah. I, I think if honestly, if your plan of attack is to, to buy in the next year or two, it's exactly what we told you to do three, three months, reassess, look at your situation. Are you willing to wait? You see improvements where you at prices aren't going to go skyrocketing back up in like a matter of one quarter or two quarters. You might see prices go back up in, um, you know, uh, six months after you started looking and say, okay, shit, I should buy now mm-hmm. because prices moved up like one or 2%. That's not a huge number. And honestly, that one or 2% is probably on the heels of, you know, a drop of nine or 10% or 15% like we think is going to happen. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think people, people spend so much time looking for the best possible deal. Remember your home is not an investment. You're buying that for utility. We've said right. it again. I've said it every time we talked about right. this. You should buy your home for the things you need from your home and hope that value goes up over time. Hope that if you ever sell it, that you're in a better position, but it is not needed. Right. You are literally buying for the best possible situation for you to be in and focus on your cash flow, what the payments are, not on what you're buying. Right. For. Exactly. The The appreciation on it is just a, is just a byproduct. Byproduct. That's all it is. All right. Let's do uh, one more. Yeah. All right. People seem to be adamant about New York, Manhattan, home prices staying high. Why? It's a sexy place where a lot of people want to live. That's why. It's a major metropolitan area. It's dense. There's a lot of employers there. I will tell you, Manhattan is palpably different. I was just talking about this with another attorney who's in Manhattan right now. And we were talking, we were reminiscing about how uh, even pre-9-11, it was different. Uh, Manhattan now is even more dangerous to me when I was there. It's less crowded, which I think maybe is why there's more danger there. There's people, less people worry about visibility. Yeah. But it certainly doesn't have that energy that it once had. Mm. And, and I, don't, I don't know how to quantify it or qualify it. But what I will tell you is it still has a shit ton of employers. Yeah. And from when I grew up and, and being in Manhattan to what you get now, I mean, the meatpacking district now is a sexy place to be. Really? Brooklyn, sexy yeah, place no, to be. Yeah, Brooklyn's nice, right? You know, there there are parts of New York that that I was around as a kid that you just couldn't go to. Yeah, that are now just fucking beautiful. Right, beautiful projects. So uh, you know, I, I think the city will always have some desire, some passion, the same way Los Angeles does as a draw there. Right, if you go, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, I will tell you that rental rates are surging in the area, and that when you're building up in places like New York. As opposed to having space, you're on an island, you're in boroughs, and they're very, very old buildings there. They're historical, right. so you're not going to change a whole lot very easily. Although 
New York will allow you to build pretty much anything. It really? Where you with zoning issues in California are significantly stricter mm-hmm. than they are. And for some reason, like historical buildings aren't a big deal in New York. They're, they're willing to do what they got to yeah, do. It's here very, it's very problem. rare. Out here it's a problem. But uh, I think it's always going to be an expensive city to live in. Now, do I think that you're going to see home values hold to where they are right now? I think over time, you're going to see increases, of course, like every other, every other piece of real estate in the world that has more to do with inflation than it does necessarily right. with dollar amounts. But I think you'll see some values coming down in New York in the next year or two. I don't think it's, it's immune to the same impacts as everybody else. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as bad as Los Angeles. Right. right. Which ironically has a significantly greater housing shortage. So do with that what you will. Los Angeles has a housing shortage. So maybe that, that's the reason why the rental rates are, are what they are. But yeah. at the same time, New York has a land shortage and seems to have a less of a housing right, shortage. Every, they all build up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a weird polarity there. But yeah, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think New York is immune to the same issues that, that are hitting the West Coast right now. And for the record, for those of you listening to the show still, thank you. Yeah. Leave a f- honest, good faith five star review. We appreciate. And you. if you're going to leave a comment, make sure to comment about Saeed not being as good of a host as Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might, need at least one. That'll of make those. that'll make Chris feel better. Even if you got to lie to me, I'm okay with that. I will take it. It's or okay. Chris is not arrogant. I don't know what that list that that, that review was talking about. Yeah. He's amazing. Just say he's amazing and say wink, 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 wink. We'll nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll know what it means. No, we won't know. You'll know. What that <laughs> yeah. means. But um, it's an interesting time in the economy. I do think there's going to be some valuation corrections. There are a lot of people out there who don't agree with that. That's fine. And I hope to have a couple of economists on the show who actually don't agree with that sometime soon. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, we can't have them in our sweat box. We'll have to have them in the studio. So we need to get packing and so, moving. You know, if we had a red light in here while we were recording this, it would actually be a red light sauna. Oh, yeah, we could do I that. I do have a juve panel upstairs. Yeah, Your testosterone do, does need to go up. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I'm, at, I'm at 14, like 50 right now. It only goes up to 1500 on the charts. After yeah. that, they're, they're like 1500 plus. <laughs> yeah, like, plus. That's my low day yeah. at my lowest time in the lowest day. Really? So that means I'm like, so yeah, you're I'm like firing on all cylinders right now. I'm way above that. See, yeah, I would I dry hump you right firing now on all cylinders? if so you, you turned your back. You to didn't me. appreciate that. I did get it. Yeah. I just thought it was perverted. Yeah. I thought my perverted joke was better than uh, your perverted joke, okay. which is totally okay. <laughs> <laughs> Side is in full relaxation mode. If you don't hear his voice very well, it's because he's like leaned back, kind of looking at the mic from a distance, but not really being close to it. Like, what are you doing right now? What is this? I'm, just, I'm relaxing. What is over relaxing? You sweating? That's why you look, you're listening I'm right now. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. <laughs> All right, everyone. I appreciate you tuning in. Saeed doesn't because he's a shitty yes, arrogant I host. Do. Thank you guys. Kim John Unlu, motherfucker. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.